0: I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me, because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. So if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the numbers 1, 2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever.
1: My name is... All is known to me. Your name is Billy Batson. You did not pry into the secret of the Scorpion. That is why I am here. But where did you come from? Out of the past, my son. Down through the ages to guard the secret of the Scorpion. You've been alive all these years? What you call life, returned to me when your friends violated the tomb of the Scorpion. Well, they meant no harm, then they should have obeyed the inscription on the tomb. The harm has been done. It is your duty to see that the curse of the scorpion is not visited upon innocent people. My duty, yes, so long as the golden scorpion may fall into the hands of selfish men, it is the duty of Captain Marvel to protect the innocent from its evil use. but who is Captain Marvel? You are my son. All that is necessary is to repeat my name, Shazan. By its repetition, you will become Captain Marvel. And take on the virtues you see recorded there. The wisdom of Solomon. The strength of Hercules. The stamina of Atlas the power of Zeus, the great courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. You must never call upon this power except in the service of right. To do so would bring the Scorpion's curse upon your own head. And now, my son, repeat my name and return to the rescue of your friends. Shazam!
0: Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, welcoming a new guest today and a fellow author, and that is Teal James Glenn. Teal, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing fine. Welcome to all.
0: Uh, Well, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Um, Before we get started on today's movie, though, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, um, I was a stuntman and actor for 45 years. Uh, did 60 renaissance fairs a couple of hundred soap opera appearances uh often doubling people but also i was a cop on guiding light all the time um most of the shakespeare canon uh, i'm a weapons expert um, and one of the nice things is i studied sword under uh, errol flynn's last stunt double patty crean so that's my touchstone to the famous um and i've been been writing i have uh, 22 books out right now i've written 49 novels um some are scheduled to come out this year and um i just run around and cause trouble so sort of wow do.
0: yeah yeah you've got you've got a few on me i'm at my my current count is i think about 30 books out so far um but uh let's talk a little bit about your stunt career uh any so you said you'd worked on a lot on soap operas and stuff like that have you ever worked on any I-
2: any movies I worked on a lot of low budget movies that show up on USA cable now and then I worked on Spencer for hire. Um, I was on, I got, got to call Hawk a clown and he beat the snot out of me, which one should, when you call him a clown, um, did a lot of low budget pictures, the bog creatures. Um, uh, I was toxic Avengers stunt double and fight choreographer for citizen Toxy, which is, I think oh, wow. the fourth movie or fifth, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, I I was in Troma's war. I died 18 times. A buddy of mine died 22 times because he was there one day longer than me. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, a lot of low budget stuff. Um, One of my great opuses is uh, Lord of the G-Strings, which was released in uh, an R version and a hard PG version as Lord of the Strings, um, where I played a bunch of parts and choreographed fights and nonsense. So which apparently there's a drinking game for. So oh. I was also um, – I was Vega in Street Fighter of the Later Years, a web series that um, um, College Humor put out about oh, at this point, okay. I think 12 years ago. It's still online.
0: Um, I never even heard of that.
2: Wow, that's interesting. It was At one point for about three years, it was the most watched web series in the world, oddly oh, wow. enough. But College Humor decided not to continue it because they didn't want to get stuck doing continued stuff. But there's 10 episodes, mm-hmm. um, you Yeah, know, like, you know, six, six minutes a piece.
3: But right, I'm still yeah, friends yeah.
2: with most of the most of my various um, uh, Street Fighters after all these years, which is hilarious to me, frankly, mm-hmm. um, you know, so. Very um, cool. Yeah. And I've when. Been, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I've been killed hundreds of times and killed hundreds of other people online on screen you know nothing I can admit to on the open air <laughs> uh so when did you uh when did you start writing I've always written i i finished my first novel just a couple of months after I graduated college. I went to art school. Mm-hmm. I was a comic book artist for a while and okay. and a book illustrator and um <clears throat> but back then it was get the full manuscript, put it in an envelope, mail it to them, hope that it came back because you had a self-adjusted stamp envelope. Mm. And so it was a really long process. And it really wasn't until um, the electronic age that I really started putting stuff out there, uh, you know, because uh, it doesn't cost a hell of a lot to just hit send on an email. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. But, I mean, I sold stuff back then. I sold to Black Belt and Mad Magazine and uh, uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu and a bunch of other places, you know. But, uh, you know, it was sporadic. I mostly made my living at that point as an artist and then got into the stunt work, actually because I did the storyboards for a film and they needed someone to to do the fights. I did the fights and I never looked back at that point. Um, So
0: uh, what are some of the comics you've worked on?
2: Oh, I, I, I did background stuff, but I, the, the one that has my name on it as the penciler is Action Master, which was only like a three-issue deal from, you know. Um, mm. I mean, that's what I wanted to do, but I kept going off into illustration and then other stuff. I mean, I, mm. no matter what I do, I'll always consider myself a failed comic book artist. But I got to, I took classes with Dick Giordano and, and did some backgrounds for him. Um, and... Um, Howard Beckerman, who was an animator. And I knew a bunch of those guys. I, I used to actually put together Paul Levitt's fanzine. Oh, okay. Um, before he became, before he started to work in the business, he pub- published a, a fanzine about comics. And we used mm-hmm. to go over to his house and do um, parties where we would have pizza. But we'd, we'd walk around the table and assemble the magazine because it had to be, you know, it was uh, hard copy print. You had to put all the pages together and then saddle stitch them. Uh, right. he had a stapler. So it's, it's pretty funny that, you know, they've gone off in that direction, but now mm-hmm. he's like the big guy, you know, and I, I went off and got myself beat up a lot, but set on fire and hit by cars, you know, and then I went to movies. <laughs> uh,
0: well, let's talk about some of the writing you're doing uh, these days. What, I mean, I don't think we've got time to talk about all the stuff you've written with, um with the biggest bibliography, as you mentioned there, but uh, what are some of the, what are some of the biggest things you're, you're involved in writing wise?
2: Uh, Well, I did, um, I won an award for The Cowboy in Carpathia. Um, I've done three novels and one novella about what would happen if Robert E. Howard had not taken his life, the creator of Conan. Um, He died at age 30. He he committed suicide. And my postulate that he decides not to, and with the behest from his mother, um, because she died, um, he travels the world. And in the first book, he meets Dracula and uh he goes to the land of the fae in another book and he fights um cthulhu and hara in the third book so um that's that's been pretty popular and i have a series called um uh, the ghost maker uh first book is out now the second coming out next year about what happens when the land of the fae overlays our world Uh and um so he's a jack silence is a, a a ghost maker he hunts Fey that go bad. Uh, okay. He's kind of an exterminator, uh, mm. but they're very tongue in cheek. And then I have a Maxie and Moxie series. Um, Call back for a corpse being the first one. Uh, it's um, husband and wife uh, investigating weird crimes in Hollywood in the 1930s. Bela <laughs> Lugosi is a character in the series. They run into, you know, various famous people. And um, so, you know, um, I pretty much write every genre at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've got a sword and fantasy series. Uh, the first two books of which are out. Uh, Altiva uh, journey to Stormrest, and then uh, dragon throat, which um, I'll eventually it'll be a at least a nine book series. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got four of them in the computer now waiting for the artist to get onto them. But uh, I've been very blessed you know and i've written you know short stories for a bunch of magazines um fan, uh had a poem in the recent weird tales and a, a short story in a, a previous weird tales so
0: mm-hmm.
2: um i'm very lucky that i get to to play all the games i wanted to as a kid
4: you know
0: <laughs> yeah we've uh we've written for some of the same people cuz i know i've seen your name on uh some uh Se stuff in the past
2: as well as uh some yeah. 27 as well i think too yeah. Yeah. know. I've got a bunch of stuff. Well, Airship is publishing the fantasy um, oh, okay. series and Pro Se is uh, is publishing the uh, the Ghostmaker and the, the Robert E. Howard stuff. In okay. fact, the thing I sent off tonight was to Pro Se. Uh, oh, OK. Get cool. an approval on that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and uh, my the other series is from Bold Venture Press. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a relatively small pond. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: you know? Yeah, it's not that big.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm trying uh, to get so, up to the
2: big boys, but you know. <laughs> uh,
0: so anyway, uh, you know, the focus here is on superheroes. So what was kind of your introduction into the world of superheroes? I know you, obviously you were a comic creator. Uh, so did you start off as a comic book fan? Oh, no, what's I, kind of like your gateway into that?
2: I learned to read from comics when I was a kid. That's, that's literally, I would say, what's this word? What's this word? And so I was reading at like a fifth grade level in first grade. And then a 12th grade level by second. Um, And, but, and I totally credit it with comic books. And the nice thing is my parents, um, most parents made their kids give up the comics. So when the neighborhood kids had to throw them away, I got to keep them because my folks said, that's fine. It's not interfering with your reading. So the Mm -hmm. kids would come over to my house to read their comics. Um, (laughs) So, which is great because after art school, I sold my collection twice um, to, to survive in the lean years that followed mm-hmm. art school before I got settled. Um, but also my very first memory of television is of chapter two of Rocket Man, which mm-hmm. was a Republic serial. And I clearly remember the one scene where he gets the gunshot out of his hand. And years later, when I saw it, I went, oh my God, that's the thing I remembered. So mm-hmm. I, I obviously I was fated to both read it and see it and eventually be it. I, in high school, I made superhero films. Mm-hmm. I, I made a rock, couple of rocket man films. I made a captain Marvel film, um, super eight back in the dawn mm-hmm. of time. Um, right. but that's what got me started in my stunt career. I was too sick to do sports, but I could learn how to jump off a roof into a box rig and I could <laughs> learn how to do, I could get enough wind to do a fist fight for camera. Um, mm-hmm. so eventually I, really tried to be those heroes you know Mm -hmm. um so it it all connects and i'm still doing that i'm still you know writing adventure stories and hero stories Mm -hmm. that's
0: awesome yeah yeah i I had a similar experience with that Not, not the stunt part or the making superhero films part but the um definitely the the comics learning how to read through comics and um my parents they didn't exactly like that I was reading comics but at the same time they didn't discourage it either they're just it was like every now and then my dad would see me reading comics he just roll his eyes and be like why don't you read yeah. a real book but that was yeah, like well, the extent of it
2: yeah and the thing is, is it never stopped me from reading real books although I have mm. to say the real books I was reading were you know Doc Savage and, right. and Conan so it's not that much different uh, right
0: right just the fewer pictures basically
2: yeah yeah
0: Okay, uh, so today we are going to be talking about um, the 1941. Uh, you mentioned Repu- the Rocket Man Republic serial. Well, this is yeah. another one of those. This is the Adventures of Captain Marvel. Um, actually, pretty much from what I from what I've been able to tell from my research, this is the first uh, superhero film ever made, as far as I can t- see.
2: It, it's the first flying hero film. But they used the same technique in Darkest Africa, a serial a couple of years before Republic, where they had Batman flying. Um, oh, okay. And they did do, they did do costumed heroes because they did Spy Smasher just before they did Captain Marvel.
3: Oh, uh, okay, okay. Same
2: team, same director, same stunt crew, uh, same effects crew. Um, but yes, this is the first, to my knowledge, costumed superpowered hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because they originally they were supposed to do um, Superman. Yeah, they got the rights to do Superman, and DC wanted too much control, so they said to the heck with it. They scrapped the Superman script and turned it because they knew how to do the flying effects. They'd already figured it out for Batman, the Batman stuff in Darkest Africa. Yeah, so uh, they uh, they voted also- as Mysterious Doctor Satan, and they made oh, up yeah, their yeah. own. Mass character, the Copperhead. Yeah, I also
0: see here that um, apparently Paramount had uh, tied up a lot of the Superman theatrical rights as well at the time. Yes. You know, yes. With the, with the uh, they did areas. the
2: animated at the same time. Right. And Republic thought that they were separate, but Paramount argued no, we have the film rights.
3: Mm-hmm. And then later yeah. on, it
2: was Columbia that got the film rights to do the Superman serials in the, in the late 40s. And
0: um, uh, national uh, periodicals, right? That, the old name for DC Comics, they actually tried to yeah. stop Republic from from developing it as well, um, yes. Because of their failure at adapting Superman, and they had they had ultimately didn't didn't succeed with that, so that this did end up going into production. Um, yeah,
2: and the thing is, is they were going to do Mister um, Scarlet and Bullet Man mm-hmm. afterwards, which were all Faucet characters, and. They had to shelve them for a bit, but they turned the Mr. Scarlet script into Captain America because Marvel was more than happy to give them. They didn't charge him anything. Here, yeah, put my character on the screen. And mm-hmm. they, the helmet that they designed for Bullet Man and the costume, they turned into Rocket Man. Oh, so okay. the So, you know, one spawned the other, which spawned the other. Um, mm-hmm. But it explains why they didn't, the um, the Captain America they changed his whole backstory and identity and his costume because it had already been written for Mr. Scarlet. So they just that explains changed it, yeah. name. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I've, I've heard about that captain America
0: serial and just like how completely different it is. So, um, so that explains why those differences exist. Um, so um, now you said in your email that this was uh this was kind of the, the reason why you wanted to get into stunt work in the first place. So why don't you talk a little yes. bit about your, your experiences with this series? I
2: was at, I was at a comic convention in, I I don't know if it was 68 or 69, um, but it was right about, cause I entered high school in, and, and uh, I, I don't remember if it was the summer before or the summer after my first year of high school, but I saw 16 millimeter print of, Chapter two of the Adventures of Captain Marvel. I'm up to then. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that it existed because there was no there were no Captain Marvel comics out. Any old comics I found were in like the nickel box in my local store, and I hadn't seen any Captain Marvel ones. And I saw this incredible action on screen, Mm -hmm. and I said, "I want to do that." And then I started reading everything I could on serials on the back of it. There were, you know, at that point, there was um, Famous Monsters put out a a companion thing called Spacemen, which had some stuff on it. And then there was another uh, Screen Thrills Illustrated, which has articles on it. But I Mm -hmm. found through, um, at that point, fanzines, I found uh, Those Enduring Matinee Idols, which was a a whole series of articles on (gasps) serials. and read everything I could on stuntmen on how the serials were made, the background. And I just started to try and duplicate it, even to the point of making a life-size dummy to fly. Um, But I could, all I could get was copper wire. So it didn't work very well. So Mm -hmm. what I ended up doing for my, for my films was I got a captain action, made a costume that matched my costume, put it on fishing line. And I have, wonderful realistic shots of him flying along. <laughs> this was before the Christopher Reeve Superman movie. Uh-huh. So all we had were silly superheroes. Right. You know? All we had were um, the, the eventually the 66 Batman, which was goofy. Uh-huh. Oh, that was all we had. And then Mr. Terrific and Captain Nice. Nobody took the hero seriously. Right. But the Captain Marvel serial, it was literally dead serious. He mm-hmm. would throw people off buildings. He would machine gun people. There was no getting around the fact that this wasn't a comedy character, right? And
4: that, that was a you
2: know, yeah. That was something that uh, was kind
4: of
0: interesting because, um, obviously, the the image of so this is kind of a tangent, but it does connect in a weird way. A few years back, this is going back like maybe twenty years or so. Um, Mark Miller pulled um, a hoax on the internet, claiming that he had discovered. Uh, these sketches from an Orson Welles um, that Orson Welles was planning to do a Batman movie back in like the the 1950s or something. And he had had this art. I can't remember who the artist was, but they'd done these amazing sketches and like they had, and he talked about it and he, the basic, his argument was like, man, imagine if Orson Welles had made a superhero movie back in the day, we would have like kickstarted the whole idea of Hollywood taking superheroes seriously and all that. And that was in my head as I was watching this, just watching this serial made me remember that because, this came out in 1941, and um, one of the things that surprised me is how earnest it was, how serious they actually did take the.
2: Yeah, there's the no material. winks. Yeah, right. there's no winks to the audience. People die. You're you're really concerned that people are going to be hurt. And mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, I think he says four lines in the entire film. Mm-hmm. He shows up when action is necessary. Right. And. Um, What's nice is the first time you see him show up, the bad guys shoot him and he's stunned that he's not dead because he still has mm. Billy Batson's mind, and he kind of like looks up and grins with this goofy grin like, "Oh, you guys just bought trouble." And he picks mm. the guy up and throws him, um, and uh, it really was done straight. Well, same thing with uh, if you ever get a chance, Spy Smasher is considered the best serial ever done. Okay, but I argue that it's between the two of them, because same. I've record. heard um, I've heard this one in a lot of
0: the research I was doing. A lot of people say that this, it's one's this the it's best one. It's between
2: this played. and Spy Smasher. The only yeah. thing Spy Smasher didn't have was flying scenes, but the mm-hmm. costume is actually just as realistic. Mm-hmm. The rationale behind it is realistic, and they, the premise in the Spy Smasher is that he has a twin brother, and at some points they change identities, and the twin brother gets killed. Mm-hmm. So it was not, it was totally serious, totally straight. Right. Um, and this too, I mean, um, the production values on it, Republic was the studio in the day. They had the newest equipment. They shot their action scenes with rheostats so they could speed them up just a little so you wouldn't notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had the stunt team of Dave Sharp and Tom Steele and Dale Van Sickle. And um, they were just, Phenomenal, and um, you know, there you go. Uh, Mm -hmm. I need one of those in life. Uh, (laughs) and uh, they they sold it as earnestly as any other thing that they ever did, which is amazing. Um, it was, and that that was the it's the first Captain Marvel costume, too, with the flap and the loose sleeves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a. I,
0: I gotta say that was the biggest surprise for me was seeing how 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 much it lacked that, that winking quality, that whole tongue in cheek aspect that you would see in like you know, for example like the George Reese Superman or I mean Batman sixty six yeah, it was very it was very intentionally campy. So I mean they're very intentional were like Adam West was playing the straight man basically in the whole thing. Yes.
2: And the thing is, even in the George Reeves Superman, even in the serious ones, there's still every once in a while, he'll look at the camera and Mm -hmm. he's in on the joke with him. There's none of that in this. This is absolutely bad guys trying to kill people and heroes not concerned if a bad guy dies. There's one shot in it where he's up on a roof garage and the bad guys are hiding behind some boxes. And he picks up an engine block and mm-hmm. throws it through the boxes and kills the guy. And the second guy, he picks up and throws off the six-story roof.
0: Well, I mean, also, what you, was know, it? It was, you mentioned the machine gun too. Like, what was it—the the first or second episode? He's you know yeah. picking up a, a freaking Gatling. He picks gun. up, <laughs> he picks up a, a cool
2: machine gun. Machine yeah. guns three guys who are running away. Throws the machine gun and then flies. Mm. It's just mind-bogglingly, you know. People talk about silly. And I said there were, as I've gone on, I've seen more and more of the the period serials from then. And Republics were absolutely the best. But like the Columbia Phantom serial is done with no wink to the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, The Secret Code has the Black Commando, no wink to the audience. So um, back then they knew their audience. We're, We're not selling this to adults pretending to be kids. We're selling these to kids who want to believe it. You well, know, also it was. To be there? It was also. I
0: think this goes back. To, this goes. Um, this kind of speaks to a misconception a lot of people have about comic history. Those original comics, they were read by kids, obviously, but they weren't only for kids. Like there were. Oh, absolutely. You know, everybody not. was reading them.
2: Yeah. Well, same thing with cartoons in the theaters. They were always done on two levels. Right. There was the current. There were current affair references and adult innuendos and slapstick comedy in the same cartoon. Mm. Um, because it was a mass media when, when, when the superhero comics hit, they were such a phenomenon that, um, it was unlike anything else that had happened. I think the only thing I could have maybe likened it to in modern days is the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. You know, Harry Potter came out of nowhere and suddenly was everywhere. And that's what happened with comics, you know, after that action comic came out suddenly Every publisher wanted to get in, and they were selling hundreds of thousands of books, even of the bad books. You yeah. know, um, so it's it's a, it's mind-boggling that you know we think about now. People, if we if we sell ten thousand of a comic, it's good. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand would go a day. You know, right? They yeah. had to the point where you know, and the pulp magazines, the Shadow was selling so much, they they went to a bi-weekly status. Mm -hmm. because people wanted entertainment that badly so they were putting out a new magazine a full magazine every two weeks because by the end of two weeks they would have sold out everything on the stand
3: yeah Uh,
2: and uh with comics too same thing captain marvel comics they went they were bi-weekly right they 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 were selling so many that they the racks were cleared in a week yeah, speaking to that too. Um, another thing that that struck me, not necessarily
0: about this serial, but one of the things that annoys me these days in comics discourse when people complain about politics in comic books. And you go back and you look at those early comics; they were very political. I've, I've um, fairly recently I picked up the the Golden Age Superman stories, and I've been reading through them. They're you wouldn't, I mean, people there'd be riots in the streets if the Superman books were that political today.
2: Oh yeah, no, they would. They, he would go after crooked politicians and and crooked um, builders. And there's one, one of the early ones where a guy's beaten his wife and Superman comes in and just slaps the snot out of him and says, mm-hmm. you touch your yeah. hand and I'll break your arms. I'm like, whoa, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was totally, I, these were the issues. I mean, Siegel and Schuster, 18 years old, they right. were writing the issues they cared about. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and there's um, the story of the Superman against the clan, which they just turned into a comic. But on the radio show, he went against the Ku Klux Klan. Right. And yeah, you know, they had, um and they the, the writer that of Ku that Klux show. Klan. Right, yeah. The writer of that
0: yeah. show. He had done extensive research on the Klan. I think he'd even gone undercover to get some yeah. information on it. And um and yeah, about that cop that that comic too is the Superman Smashes of the Klan
2: is an amazing comic. If anyone hasn't read it, it's yeah. it's really good. Um Yeah. I mean they were they were always political. It's like people mm. get like, you know, like Indiana Jones. Oh, they'll get all woke and they'll have like a, they'll be anti Nazi and suddenly they'll be a tough girl. And like, well, yeah, they had it then. They had yeah. it back in the 30s, you know? Uh, I mean, Captain America's debut was punching Hitler in the face.
4: Right. And yeah.
2: uh, I talked about this we on. We weren't um, in the war yet. We were not in the yes, war yet when that happened. Exactly. In fact, uh, and
0: fascism was pretty popular back then in America in those days. Like, there's a, there's yeah. a great book about this called Hitler's American Friends. Uh, also, yes. Rachel Maddow recently did a podcast called Ultra, talking about the yes. the the America First movement and all that in the nineteen in the nineteen thirties. And yeah, Jack Kirby got death threats back in those days. And oh yeah,
2: and he was of, ready to he was ready to go down and punch out anybody who showed up.
0: Exactly. You one know? of my favorite Jack Kirby stories is they called him up one day when he was at Mar- at Timely in those days when he was at their yeah. offices, and it was a bunch of New York Nazis. And they called him up and they said, "We want We want. We're downstairs. We want to meet this Jack Kirby guy who's drawing all these." anti-Hitler comic book. So Jack Kirby rolls up his sleeves, marches downstairs, and everybody ran away.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was Ben Grimm. He mm-hmm. absolutely was Ben Grimm. There's oh, yeah. no it's, doubt. My favorite
0: quote from his is, the only politics I ever knew was that if somebody said they liked Hitler, I'd beat the stuffing out of them,
2: and they would be that. <laughs> yes. There's really no... It's like no equivocation involved. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just finished a novel, which I'm shopping, which takes place in 39 two weeks after the big Nazi rally at Madison square garden where there were 20,000 Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I've been to, um, the, the Nazi camp on Long Island. Mm -hmm. There, There were one in Long Island. There was one in New Jersey. There were major summer camps and housing developments for the Nazis. Yeah so, um,
0: I think I think uh Maddow's podcast talked a little bit about touch on those things a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah there, are there huge, were like
2: dozen across the country. Um, yeah. outright Nazi camps. Right, right you know also had
0: best. Father Colin Coughlin on the radio was doing a lot of um, pro-fascist stuff and and inciting violence and all that kind of thing. It was insane back then, yeah. Um, If anyone is interested in hearing more, definitely check out that Rachel Maddow podcast, Ultra, or that book, Hitler's American Friend. They're both really good references for that. Um, But anyway, let's dive into into this serial. Uh, So I had known about this for a long time. I think when I was a kid, I actually remember at my local public library, they had this huge, vhs compilation of it um mm-hmm. and i remember being very surprised because i'm like captain marvel that sounds and i looked at it because i i didn't really i know the name captain marvel but i think i'd known him more i didn't have that much association with either the marvel or dc versions but i think i had slightly more association with the marvel one um and so when i saw that i i remember this is what uh made me laugh when i changed his name to shazam because when I was growing up, all the DC action figures, they always called him Shazam on it because they couldn't use Captain Marvel. So he was yeah. always Shazam to me for, for like at least 10, 15 years before I finally well, found out. The hilarious
2: thing, thing is in the early 60s, I think 63 maybe, something like that, there was a company that came out with a couple of books, and one of them was a Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. But he was a robot who could split his arms and legs separate from him. I think there's two or three issues of it. And because at that point the the DC had bought out Fawcett and the the name had gone fallow. It was not used. It was later on when Marvel said, you know, we should, we're named Marvel. We should claim that name that they created Marvell so they could take, take it over. Um, And, but that was the only Captain Marvel I knew when, when I went into this convention, you know, uh, film room to watch Mm -hmm. And I saw this thing up on the screen and the figure flies across at the opening. And I was like, Oh my God, this is heaven. This is where Mm -hmm. I want to be. And, you know, and like I said, I then studied the stuntmen from it. um, And uh, I just wanted to live in that world, which Mm -hmm. again, which is why most about half my series take place in the 1930s because I'm more comfortable there than I am in the 2000s, you know? So, what were some of your thoughts uh,
0: rewatching it for uh, for this for this podcast?
2: Well, the the biggest thing for me is um, the scope of it. There's mm-hmm. it was just before they instituted the wartime um, kind of downsizing, where they would go on fewer locations. Mm-hmm. So there's there's the big mansion sequence where they're on this actual grounds of a giant of a mansion with all of the grounds and stuff. They're up in um, the garden of the gods, the uh, Corriganville, which is Mm -hmm. their Siam. Um, And there's a lot of exterior stuff. And there's a lot of on location that the, um, the parking garage that they go to um, is in downtown Los Angeles. They went and shot there. So there's a lot more, you know, like the next two or three serials, they started to go on fewer and fewer location shoots. During the war, they kept things pretty close, and they used stock footage. But mm-hmm. um, you know that, and the, the fact that they made sure there was a Captain Marvel appearance in every chapter, mm-hmm. and at least one flying scene, sometimes yeah. more, mm-hmm. um, because you know that's what the kids were there for. You know, right. Um, right? But I, and the thing is, is that they presented it in such a way, is that. It was, if anything, it's closer to the way Marvel does films now. There's mm-hmm. just a tacit sense of reality. If a guy showed up who could do this, this is how people would react to him. Right. You know, there's that sense of it. And um, that really a lot of other films did not do. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing that impressed me. Most. Plus, I just love watching the, I you know. And the other one is The Battling Butler. There's a sequence where the, in one of the, <laughs> I think it's chapter three or four where they come in and this butler, um, the bad guys are come to get the, the the professor and the butler suddenly takes them on. And suddenly the butler mm-hmm. is fighting like that. It's just amazing. It's like He hired this butler because he's a freaking martial artist. Come on. Right? He's a gymnast and he's floating all over the place. And you expect your heroes to do that, but not the butler who has no lines. it's mm-hmm. yeah. just hilarious to me. My thought but was that so – um... like,
0: yeah, my thought watching it was, uh, like, for my part, as, as far as, like, the story and stuff goes, I didn't enjoy it as much. But I did approach, so I approached it more from, like, an academic exercise to kind of put it myself in the mindset of that time frame and all that. And the technical stuff is what impressed me the most. Like you said, the, the fight scenes, the the special effects were, and, and again, the fact they had, they played it straight the whole time. Even, like, the costume design. The costume design is is really nice. Um uh story wise it doesn't hold up as well for me, especially because and this is a one of the problems watching it now in in like one sitting is that it's it's like when you're binging um uh a sitcom or something like that there's a there's a there's a sense of repetition that kind of sets oh, in yeah, absolutely. that's not how it was supposed to be watched right people would go to no, the theaters I mean, and they'd watch, watch it like week after week. week.
2: Yeah, if you watched it once a week, you would notice that that's the same set again or that they've repeated that footage. The other thing that's interesting is, I think, I'm not sure, but this may be the first of the. There's a group of us, one of us is the bad guy plots, which mm-hmm. became really standard in Marvel, uh, in the uh, Republic after mm-hmm. this. There would be a group of explorers that go somewhere or uh, the science club or whatever. And. Um, there's a bad guy they're they're fighting who's masked but one of them we slowly learn is that bad guy and so we everybody has to give these kind of looks there's there's a lot of like shifty looks on everybody because you're supposed to suspect everybody
0: um, yeah there's also a lot of we, recapping that goes on too which again was kind of the one of the problems of the format because if somebody oh yeah missed, if you uh, if
2: if you just chop this into a two and a half hour film, it would be a lot smoother. There's a, there's a cut of, I think it's Zombies of the Stratosphere, which somebody did a colorized version of mm-hmm. um, in the 80s, I think. And what they did was they cut off, um, they took it up to each chapter ending, and then it would, it would stop, and then it would go chapter two, you know, chapter two, and you would literally pick up directly. There were no mm-hmm. recap and so and and it was colorized. So they got it down, and it, it gets rid of that repetitiveness. I mean, it still has a simple formula to it, mm-hmm. but you know, when you see it that way, it's really not as dragging on you. But like yes. I said, it's the first time that I know of that they use the one of us is guilty, and so they have to do a lot of extra shifty looks and you know kind of moments and. Mm-hmm. For the most part, it's relatively subtle. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's some of them that are still like almost silent acting
0: for those yeah. moments.
2: I'd also wish there was a bit
0: more seeding of clues as to who that, uh, what that well, re- the thing re- is, reveal ever because was. Because the
2: Scorpion is a dubbed voice. Mm-hmm. It's a complete cheat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a complete cheat. And I, in some cases, like, uh in the mass marvel serial they honestly didn't know which one of them was going to be the mass marvel at the end so they Mm. wrote it and so it could have been literally any one of them and then Mm. at the end they decided who it was and i think there's some of that in this where they said look if we give honest clues you know we have to think too hard so let's just let's just roll with it boys and again you're seeing it once a week for 12 weeks and, um, so, and uh, this is before they started doing the economy chapter, usually mm-hmm. in the serials, they started about chapter nine or 10, there would be, well, you know, Bob, remember that time? And they mm-hmm. would do a chapter where they only had to shoot three minutes of new material and oh. they would just recall stuff from the earlier serial. That's what they started extending the serials for 13 chapters and then 15 chapters. And a lot of them started doing that. Right, um, right. So this is before then where they're, they're still, you know, pretty much it's like 16 or 18 minutes of solid story mm-hmm. before they do the cliff. I yeah. think the first chapter was 26 minutes or 28 minutes. But then the big thing with serials then was you would, you would put all your money in most serials in the first two to three chapters. because mm-hmm. Those are what you showed to exhibitors. Right. And once they bought it, like Sam Katzman could then cheap out for the rest of the cereal. Um, mm-hmm. Republic did not do that generally. They were they they kind of took pride in the fact that they were the the top of the line for that stuff. Right. But even they cheated a little. Like all of the Siam stuff is from, I think it's Guns Over Bengal, which mm-hmm. is why they all look like they're Afghani's. You yeah, know, I thought that was not,
0: interesting. When they said they're in Siam, I'm like, wait, so how come everybody's dressed like they're in, Af- in Afghanistan?
2: And it was because they had all that stock footage from one of their feature films, and mm. that cuts down the cost of the cereal. So, that yeah, I have it, yeah. To, all of that stuff. I kind of just kind of go, yeah, well, it's just the way it is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, if you ever get a chance, the the Fu Manchu serial mm-hmm. is absolutely. Um. One of the most intellectual, one of the most well-written serials. Mm. It's the same team that did Captain Marvel uh, and Spice Masher, Uh and um, but it was written not to have those kind of cliffhangers. Sometimes the cliffhanger is just a camera coming in on Fu Manchu, going, "I will get them," and right. it has a much. But even then, toward the end of that serial suddenly they you all of this footage from this same, uh, guns over Bengal shows up because they had all of this footage of guys with turbans riding horses and they stuck it in there. You know, um, that's the economy part of making those things, you know? Yeah.
0: Uh, also the, and this is obviously a sign of the times was just like the, the whiteness of the cast, even when it came to oh. characters who were not supposed to be white.
2: Oh yeah. No, I, I, I have a, it's, it's funny. Uh, I have a hard time looking at anything with Yellow Face. Um, mm. Certainly Blackface, but Yellow Face bothers me. Although I can stand Mr. Moto because he was somehow different. Laurie was so good. They didn't do any makeup on him, he did it yeah. with acting. And the first Charlie Chan series, because he's the smartest guy in the room, mm. I can take. But generally speaking, yeah. I mean, um, even when blacks show up in any other serials, you know, they're named Snowflake. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's really hard to take for a modern audience. There's a lot I can't watch a lot of westerns to watch. You know, all the Italians playing Native Americans with the same wig on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it 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 tempers one's love of old films with that kind of consciousness. You know, yeah. um, and the the other thing I like about Republic though, their serial heroines, they often got in the fights. Mm-hmm. They tended to not quite be furniture like so many of the other serial uh, women at this period. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they had Linda Sterling and um, they had the Naoka serials. So they had female leads and they would get into a fair amount of action. So mm-hmm. that at least tempers some of that. But yes, the fact that, you know, everybody looks like they came from Pittsburgh, yeah. not from Siam. Although yeah. I did think they did have um they did have
0: two though. They had um uh Tetsu Komai who played uh yeah. I mean, um, what was this character's name? Uh Tet uh, and Chon then Lai. uh yeah. Al Kikume was another one who is um uh playing just native chief is how he's described. Yeah. So it's a little yeah. bit and, I mean they they they'd done a little bit better in those times, although even still not the not the best examples of representation to say the least. Oh
2: yeah, no. And and like And when they did have Native Americans playing Native Americans, it was, you know, Monty Blue or or Chief Thundercloud, and they were pretty monosyllabic.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, no, it's it's, it's hard to take. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, it's, uh, like I said, when I look at any of these, I try to put them in context. Like, I write a lot of period stuff. And um, my model for what I'm writing is I try to find the most progressive magazines from the period. Street Mm. smith for instance, they did not use certain slurs that were standard in a lot of other magazines. Mm. And their characters, their their main characters, tended to have a more open, I won't say necessarily modern attitude, but more modern. Right. And so I try to go with that. But, yeah, I mean, you see some of this stuff and you're like, like a lot of the pirate movies, it's basically, you know, the hero basically... Ravages you know uh Marine O'Hara, and she's supposed to like it mm-hmm. and yeah, I have a problem with that kind of stuff, yeah, and I put it in context, but you can only take so much of that, you know now, another thing that I
0: thought was interesting is now I'm not sure how much of a Captain Marvel fan you are of you know from the comics uh I've never really been able to I think that's also part of um that's another layer that's keeping me from becoming a being a fan of this is. I'm not, not predisposed pre, to enjoying uh, Captain Marvel. It's just, he's been a That's character that see. just never, never quite interested me.
2: It's funny. My, my interest in it came after the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I said, then I, I explored where it came from. Right. And um, it is so not like any of the comics. Right. That's yeah. the thing. Uh, the comics always were tongue-in-cheek. If, if anything, the comics were closer to Batman 66 right. than anything. And uh, I mean, the main villain is a freaking worm, you know, uh, Mr. Mine. Mm -hmm. So it it really is like another creature altogether. Um, uh, Although Spy Smasher is surprisingly close to Mm -hmm. the comic. And even in Spy Smasher, they introduced characters from the serial. There's a a Spy Smasher comic, which is a sequel to the serial. And. They did bring the Scorpion from the serial into the comics of Captain Marvel at one point after the fact. He, like, makes one appearance. Yeah. So they were conscious that, you know, this is our audience. Let's let's kind of do a little cross-marketing here. But, um, yeah, Captain Marvel in the movie is nothing like the comic. I mean, yeah. in the comic, he is – They called the, his nickname is the Big Red Cheese, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. You can't imagine him picking up a guy and throwing him off a seven-story building to get him out of his way. Yeah. <laughs> you just you can't even imagine that.
0: That's exactly <laughs> the point I was going to make. Like this is this is far more serious than even than at least my encounters with him in the comics have been. And um and like I was able to I enjoyed the the Shazam film for the most part because I think what what attracted me to that is they leaned in more to the the big aspect of it, you know, big Oh yeah, series. no,
2: the 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 two Shazam films are Closer to the big red cheese of the forties right. than it is to the stuff now. Right. Actually the Jerry Ordway run on Captain Marvel, um, at DC or Shazam family, um, are closer to the cereal. Oh, okay. Ordway had a more realistic art style and the story went a little more. They, they didn't quite embrace the Bigfoot, um, uh, you know, the, the cartooning phrase of Bigfoot mm-hmm. comics, you know, goofy stuff. Um, right his run on it was much more serious. Okay. Um, and, um, but then they've now moved back to the old Captain Marvel. Right. Uh, if you ever go to comic book plus, you can always look at the comics online and read a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I read the, the Spy Smashers mashers um, just to see how close they were to the serial at one point. And in many ways they are closer mm-hmm. um, because he's a, he's just a costume guy who has right. a cool plane, you know? Uh, and so he has a gun and he shoots people. Um, yeah. So in that sense, he's a lot closer. You know, he doesn't fight any, I mean, he fights the mask, but um, he doesn't really have um, crazy supervillains mm. like Captain Marvel did. Um, right. You know, although during the war, they fought Captain Nazi. Mm. Um, you, you know, you can't get any more on brand than that. Huh, yeah, Captain yeah. Nazi.
3: yeah,
0: Well, uh, That was actually something I enjoyed about, about this, uh serial was the fact that it it had taken itself more seriously and like so this is again kind of a tangent but i'm part of a public domain group on facebook and one of the things like probably the most common point of discussion is about how can we do captain marvel stories right but with that but make him like an making him a pastiche or something changes colors and like captain thunder yeah. captain magic all these types of things. Of
3: those groups, yeah and um yeah. probably
0: probably and um it, anytime I read those discussions, I'm always kind of left there sinking. I'm like, well, I have no interest in stories about a little kid who becomes a superhero. So it just never really. So one of the things and that's and again, this is something that's just a barrier between me and Captain Marvel Shazam is I just that just doesn't appeal to me as a as a reader or as a as a watcher. So I thought it was really interesting that when I watched this movie and we see Billy Batson and it's a guy who's in his 20s. I'm like, oh, OK. This is yeah. It, this actually yeah, interested a lot more than, than, the, than the little kid. Acts.
2: Yeah, and he's yeah, you because know, in, in the comics he's he's supposed to be around twelve or thirteen. Yeah, here he right. played it as if he was like a seventeen-year-old, give or take. Although he, I right. think he was like twenty-one at the time. Uh, the actor, um, Frank Coglan. But yes, he's. It makes more sense that this guy could be a reporter. That this right. guy could drive a car. You know, that the comics never made any sense. That Billy Batson runs a radio station he's 12 he's mm-hmm. 12 years old Yeah, um, you know and it, it it's but that's the audience they were going for so right. uh, they were going for the kids again like you say they were um, they made these cereals for the kids but they made them also for the adults who went with the kids mm-hmm. who were going to sit through the cereal and watch the feature that came on after right so there's enough of like the girl is sexy And the bad guys are bad, and the Mm -hmm. action is hardcore, so that it can be appreciated on those couple of levels. Mm -hmm. Um, That works, and I said that's why. That's why most people say this is the best serial. It is a real toss-up between this and Spy Smasher, only because Spy Smasher is smoother. Mm -hmm. It's a little slicker, and it's a much more um, war-connected story. You know, I mean, he is fighting Nazis in Europe and then he ends up fighting Nazis, you know, on the home front. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's much more um war connected in that sense. Hey guys, we ended up
0: having some technical difficulties and unfortunately, uh, Teal lost his connection when he was able to get his computer up and running again. For some reason, Zencaster would not let him back into the recording studio. So uh we had to cut our recording time short, but uh, just a few things I wanted to mention just to kind of, um, to wrap up. We're almost at the end anyway. Uh, one of the things that Teal had noted was that the directors were both editors themselves and they had shot for the editor. So when you're watching the movie, you can see that the editing works very well in this. Um, in fact, there are scenes where you've got the, the captain Marvel dummy, uh, flying across the zip line and flying across the screen, kind of from a distance, and then it will cut almost seamlessly to a close up of Tom Tyler, who's the actor who played Captain Marvel, either either landing or or just a close up of him flying through the air. So the flying effects were actually pretty well done for 1941. I mean, it, it's done fairly sophisticated in a fairly sophisticated fashion. The other thing I wanted to mention is, and this kind of ties into the whole problem I had with the the writing not being completely on point, is that, you know, in the comics they've gone back and forth between Billy Batson and uh, Captain Marvel or, or Shazam, you know, as to whether or not when Billy Batson says Shazam, does he just transform into an adult body like in the movie or like in some of the more modern comics? But he still basically has Billy Batson's mind, or does he actually transform into a different person, uh, which I think some comics have done in the past, or is he some kind of mix between the two? One of the things that I, I was curious about on this that we didn't really that the, the serial didn't really touch on is whether or not it is Billy that we see just his mind in Captain Marvel's body, or if Captain Marvel is actually a separate person. Like Teal had mentioned. Captain Marvel doesn't have a whole lot of speaking lines, and when he does speak, you can't really get a good sense of, is this Billy's personality? Is this a, a separate guy? So it was kind of hard to tell, and I wish there'd be something more about that, especially since, you know, like we had mentioned, he, Captain Marvel is is no slouch in the violence department in this. I mean, he goes around and, you know, machine guns people, he tosses people off roofs or through. he throws an engine block at someone. So... All these things made me wonder about, you know, what kind of person this really is. And it would have been interesting to see some of the more psychological stuff as far as, you know, what's it like for for Billy Batson, who is this very earnest, upright, moral guy, when his, he's basically turning over his existence to this um, super powerful, godlike being who, who doesn't care about uh, how far he'll take... Uh, how far he'll take the fight so that's something that would have been interesting to see but unfortunately we don't get anything like that uh, in this movie i will say that in closing this was a really interesting artifact um you know one of the first superhero movies if not the first uh costumed super powered superhero movie like teal had mentioned but uh it's it's one of those things that you can find it very easily the whole thing is available on youtube i think it's also on some of the free streaming sites like Tubi or, or Pluto TV or something like that, so you can find it fairly fairly, fairly easily. Although I would suggest if you're going to watch this, don't watch it in one sitting like I tried to do. Instead, I would recommend spacing it out a little bit. You know, giving yourself maybe a few days between chapters. Um, and on YouTube, in fact, there are some versions that have it split up by chapter, so you can do it chapter by chapter on YouTube um and i think that would be a better way to experience it if you watch it all in one sitting the repetition is really going to set in and you're going to feel that three and a half hour runtime um i mean this is this is a three and a half hour runtime but it's not something like avengers endgame where that three and a half hour runtime moves very swiftly this you feel the three and a half hour runtime with this so keep that in mind if you do seek it out I will say though it was impressive how earnest it took itself, how serious it was, and how kind of different it was from what my expectations of it were. You hear something about a, a superhero movie from 1941, you think it's going to be really cheesy. The effects are going to be terrible, and you know the effects are dated. But it does a pretty good job with what they had access to at the time. So, um, so yeah, that about does it for our discussion on Adventures of Captain Marvel. Uh, as for Teal's stuff, he did send me an email with some information. So his website is theurbanswashbuckler.com, and his uh, "A Cowboy in Carpathia" is the is the book he had mentioned, where it's Robert E. Howard meets Dracula. And he also has the Maxi and Moxie Mystery series, which is described as X Files meets Nick and Nora Charles in 1938 Hollywood. Looks like there are three volumes in that series. Call back from a corpse cultists always ring twice and fay my lovely so you can check out all of those again at uh theurbanswashbuckler.com, and we'll have links to that in the show notes as for us superhero is the website super cinema pod on twitter and instagram and remember if you subscribe to our patreon page for as little as a dollar a month you get these episodes a week in advance without the ads plus you also get access to the exclusive uh patreon show the companion podcast uh, as Superhero cinephiles Book Club, where we talk about comic books and graphic novels, and we release new episodes of that about once a month. Thanks so much for listening, and again, sorry for the technical difficulties in this episode. Uh, it, it happens sometimes, guys. I don't know what to tell you, and it, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to find a time to reschedule with Teal just with uh, my schedule kind of being what it is. But again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the superhero cinephiles then you'll also love my companion podcast the superhero cinephiles book club all my patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where i review superhero comics and graphic novels not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into i've got you covered on that i'll be doing reviews recommendations and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start plus you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else on all of this for as little as just a dollar a month all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash super and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started thanks so much for your support and please don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.